Welcome to the Nordic Football Podcast. Coming up uh, in this episode, all the latest news in the Asvenskan and the Lietuserien, especially regarding the close relegation battles, um, title races, just general news, cups, upcoming fixtures. And in addition, in addition to that, we've got some really great analysis from uh, AFC Eskilstuna against Gif Sundsvall from the Arsvenskan this week. It was a massive relegation match. Got all the usual stuff, including players, talent in focus, eat my shorts, and much, much more. So stay tuned to the Nordic Football Podcast. Welcome to episode 12 of the Nordic Football Podcast. My, I'm Jonathan Faduba and I'm joined by my guest. We're reversing things this week, so I'm doing the intro. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite nice to be doing this intro. Um, Steve, how you been? Yeah, John, I'm uh, doing very well, thank you very much. It's uh, been a good week weekend for me all around in general. So we're uh, looking very much looking forward to uh, recording this uh, latest podcast with you. Yeah, I'm just about... Uh, overcome the kind of um, nervous tension of doing the intro there so yeah I mean trying to live up to your great introductions um, I hear that you've had a bit of a successful run at cricket uh, in the last week How, uh, tell us about that well I, I can't really take too much credit because um, I think some of my teammates were uh, more key personnel this year but the cricket team I play for uh, on a Saturday we got promoted back to division the top division of the uh, league we're actually in so yeah, very much delighted uh, to be uh, say back in the big time in terms of cricket. Didn't have a brilliant season myself because of injury, but uh, yeah, brilliant from the rest of the uh, the boys to to obtain promotion. So had a good night out celebrating on Saturday night, and uh, yeah, it was enjoyable times, John. A few beers, though. Yeah, one of a few beers, a few shots later on, a bit of champagne as well was on the go. So uh, just my sort of thing, you know. You know me, I like uh, a bit of champagne. Yeah, they don't call you the good times Charlie for no reason, do they? Uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's good to hear, mate. Good to hear. And uh, yeah, we enjoyed the pod with you last week and we're back for another week. I've dragged you along. Not letting you get away with two weeks without one this time. So um, yeah, here we go. I mean, we can get right into it if you like and, and start with some Eat My Shorts if, you, if you're ready for it. Absolutely. Very much ready for it for Eat My Shorts. And uh, I do believe, I think it's actually my turn now to uh, get us underway. Eat My Shorts. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Count me down. I'll lock and load it and let's hope that you have a bit of a better run than last week. I think I'll be, I should be all right this time, I think. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Was this the weekend where the title was officially won? Because Rosenborg beat Valerenga, Sarpsborg lost 5-0 at Trumser, and, well, they kind of surrendered it because they've rested players in anticipation of the uh, Norwegian Cup semi-final upcoming. But seven points clear now, Rosenborg. I say handed to them on a plate, maybe? Yes, and the first place to start is AFC Eskilstuna against Gif Sundsvall, which is going to be our match in focus this week. Looking forward to the match analysis coming, but our AFC officially down now. It was a poor defeat, 2-1. It leaves them rock bottom with seven games to play. Omar Adari said that it's all good and they're not worried, but surely that's got to be it for them now. A crushing defeat. Yep, staying uh, with relegation and this time in Norway, another crushing defeat for Viking. 
against Mulder, uh, 3-2, yet another late goal condemned them. They were down to 10 men for about 80 minutes in the game. Uh, really great fight from them, but you just got to think now, is there too much ground to make up for Viking? It looked down, but I think now. Just about in time there with Viking. Yep. And now we move over to Champions Elect Malmo, who hit back in style. Last week, we talked about them having a bit of a slip, uh, did a reopen the title race, but they smashed Hammerby 4-0. A really poor Hammerby, in fairness. They played badly. Ed El Rakip was in form. And yeah, Malmo, you know, back up, back up to the top now, and it looks like the title is done. Uh, an absolutely magnificent win for Trumps, a 5-0 against Sarpsborg. I mean, this comes on the back of last week when they lost 4-0 against Christiansen. So work that one out. How the hell do you go from 0-4, 5-0? But massive result for them. They've got a game in hand. Um, I really do think they've got a great chance of avoiding uh, relegation completely now. Certainly automatic anyway. Moving over to Biko Hakan, and yes, Ahmed Yassin, who we talked about on the last party, was our talent focus. You can still listen to it. They won 3-0, and he scored within 21 minutes of, uh, of the game, starting against Elfborg in a 3-0 win. It was a poor play from Elfborg, really, but um, yes, Yassin is in great form, and he's talked about maybe possibly going back to AOK or leaving the league completely. You just sneaked that one in, didn't you, John? Um, now into European football, and... Uh... Rosenborg got battered 4-0 by Real Sociedad on Thursday night. Um, just a real lesson, footballing lesson from the Spanish uh, outfit who looked really good. It could have been even more. No disgrace for RBK, but uh, yeah, a bit of a battering in their first gr uh, group game there for Europa League. Yeah, I did actually. I missed about half of my point on that one. But anyway, um, yeah, Emil Forsberg, who is an RB Leipzig player, he is looking to perhaps save Gisunsvall. Sunsvall have economic problems and they've suggested a friendly uh, match between RB Leipzig and them as they, they have a sell-on clause with Emil Forsberg. That could happen and that could really save Gisunsvall from their economic woes at the moment. And my final point is Bran, uh, again, uh, they've won. Uh, against Sanderfield 1-0, their fourth victory in a row. With other teams kind of uh, with stuff on their mind, it looks like they're probably going to ease their way to second place in the league right now, Bram. Kind of under the radar, really. No one's talking about them because of other things going on this weekend. But four wins in a row now for Bram. Ooh, don't know about that one. The listeners are going to have to judge that one, Steve. And yes, final point. I'm going to go to two points of one here in a way. Osterson smashed Sirius 5-0 away, which is unbelievable. They are really doing incredible stuff at the moment. And on the same day, uh, Oyiko AIK smashed Hampstead 4-0 at half-time it was. The game ended 4-1, which disappointed the manager slightly. But yeah, both of them doing really, really well. Linkvist and Stefanelli impressed. That concludes Eat My Shorts for this week. Good work as ever, my friend. And I'm sure there's a few points there that we want to elaborate on. Um, I'm going to start you off in Sweden and Ostersunds. Um, what a really uh, great week for them, John. Uh, overall, their season just seems to be going from strength to strength, doesn't it? Yeah, it's phenomenal stuff, really, Steve. I mean, where, where, do, you, where, do, you, where do you even begin with this, this team that, you know, the things that Graham Potter's doing, you know, we talk about it. We've talked about it most of the season, obviously, since they won the Swedish Cup. Um, and, you know, they've been, you know, doing so well in European qualifications. We had Jamie Hopcut, one of their, you know, players on the on the pod, on one of the recent pods, which you can still listen to. And, um, yeah, their rise just continues, to be honest. Uh, I think it's, you know, a sign of how far they've come, really, in terms of their, their rise, you know, through the divisions. 
it's some, it says a lot about our team when they go to Ukraine, um, winning Ukraine in the Europa League in their first ever Europa League campaign, and then come back two days later and win five nil away from home against one of the best, you know, one of the best performing teams in the league this season. Although Sirius have had a, a real slump of late, but to come back and beat you know them five nil to overcome that the travelling time, all that kind of stuff, it really says a lot about Ostersons and their situation right now in in, in incredible form. And um, yeah, now they're up to fifth in the table. How, how is that actually possible? Because you see so many teams across Europe get this sort of Europa League hangover. And uh, I mean, it, it, even if the, the team actually wins the game, usually there's a performance dip or something that's quite noticeable. And yet they've gone off there and away from home again and they've won 5 0 against a good team. I mean, does it kind of prove that this Europa League hangover is more a mental fatigue, would you say, John? Well, this is the thing, Steve. I mean, um, is it mental? Is it just confidence thing? Is it is it is it actually related to fitness? I mean, the manager did rotate slightly. Um, Potter did kind of rotate a couple of players, but you know, he's praised the squad's character. That you know, they came back from Ukraine on Friday and they played on a Sunday. Hours kind of rest time, really. I mean, you, you hear managers like Jose Mourinho complaining. You know, he he spent half of last season complaining about Manchester United's. Europa League commitments and, and their problems with the squad. And they, they spend hundreds of millions of pounds you know, per season. So for Ostersons to be doing it with such a tight squad, small budget, you know, it's, well, biggest belief, to be honest. Um, the win in Zoria was good enough, really. Uh, Sam Angolas was in good form there. But, you know, to come back now and, and smash serious the way they did, you know, the manager, as I said, he's praised the squad's character and attitude. He's described them as a special group. Sam Angolas is doing well. Ken Simmer's in great form. Uh, Johan Bertelsen now, we've got two at the weekend. He's His slow start to his career is coming. You know, he, he started his career slowly. He was at Geffling. They signed him and usually their recruitment's good and it looked like it was a bit of a dodgy signing at the start of the year. He had some health problems, that kind of thing, but he's starting to show his worth now. You know, it's all they're all coming up roses, to be honest. Now, the top five in the Arsvenskan, they all won at uh, the weekend. So, uh, good times for, for all those teams. Malmo... They're back to winning ways, up to 50 points now. A uh, comfortable win for them against Hammerby. I mean, it looks like that over that slump period, do you think? Yeah, I mean, they, they really... I think it's one of those, isn't it, when... they're Because they're a top team, whenever they're questioned, you know, they have a bit of a dip, people start to question them, and then that kind of maybe that regenerates their enthusiasm really a little bit, you know, when, when they're doubted, they, they come out again and, and, and prove it. I, I remember Pavel Sabitsky, who's now at Leeds, um, saying at one point, I remember they had a bit of a poor run, I think they'd lost to North Shopping at home earlier in the season and, um, and people were saying they've taken their eye off the ball and Sabitsky came out and said, you know, everyone everyone likes to hate on us and, you know, where are they kind of thing. We're still the top team. And it was a bit of a similar sense this time. It's like, all right, you can criticise as much as you want, but where are you in the league? And, and you know, they came back and they battered Hammerby, really. It was it was um, men against boys in a sense. They, Hammerby were poor, I thought, and uh, they got their tactics slightly wrong. It uh, didn't really work for them, and um, it was a comfortable win for Malmo, who, as we say every week when they win, look like champions now. Yeah, I mean, just forgetting Malmo for now, below them, there's a, a decent battle going on, you could say, for the next five positions. You know, you've got your Jurgarten, uh, Hacken, AIK, Ostersunds, maybe even Norshipping, uh, sort of in the running there for the, the, the final medal positions. Who do you think is most likely to end the season strongly uh, and sort of finishing them uh, second and third place? Well, there's a midweek round this week in, in Sweden and the key game is Ostersunds Malmo, mate. That is going to be a big one. 12 points between those two, fifth and first. And, you know, the way Ostersunds are playing right now, if they if they get a win there, I mean, I'm not saying the title race will be open, but, you know, your garden still winning and there's a seven-point gap. 
but I just think I just think from from a spectator's point of view, I think Osterson's mama has got the potential to be one of the games of the season. And I also think it will lay down a marker potentially for for next season. I think this could be the one to look for for next season. I, I, in my personal opinion, I think if if Ostersons are able to keep Potter um, and continue to progress as they are, I actually have a, a sneaky feeling that Ostersons Malmo could be a title race. You know, the top two next season, um, and I think this could be the one where they could lay it down a marker for that. Uh, Malmo are probably still going to win the league, you know, but if they they they, they like like we said, they take their eye, they do have a tendency to take their eye off the ball, and the way. Austin's are playing at the moment. I don't think you know they can afford to do that. Um, just looking at the other four teams, uh, three teams. Sorry, AIK. I was really impressed with. I watched them against Halmstad, and they were four 0 up at half time. And I know Halmstad are, are really poor and they're going down, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, I wanted to give a bit of a shout out to their signings. Linkfist, who we talked about, who came from Norway, didn't he? He looked really good. I was really impressed with him. Um, scored one really nice goal, uh, and and was really quite a threat as a as a kind of wing back down the left. Um, and Stefanelli as well, who they got from Argentina, and he came up with a couple of goals and looks like a bit of a poacher. And yeah, I was really impressed with them. Their manager criticised them afterwards, saying that he, he wasn't happy that in the second half they gave away a goal, and you know they Hamster kind of won the second half, if that makes sense, one 0 But um, yeah, they look pretty good. I mean, and then attacking in your garden. Um, I mean, we could talk about them in a minute, but I just want to ask you about some, you know, what's the latest in Norway at the moment? I mean, Viking lost again, and it looks like Tromso had some uh, an outstanding result. Yeah, well, let's start at the bottom, shall we? And um, you, you've asked me a few times in the in recent podcasts, do I think Viking are down? Well, I, I just got a feeling they are down now. Um, I don't see how they, they survive from this point onwards. It just felt like the result, which um, really has put a nail in their coffin. Um, they lost against Molder 3-2, and they took an early lead. Molder equalised on the penalty spot, but crucially... Uh, Viking had a man sent off um, in that incident, so they had to play 18 minutes with 10 men. So Mudder then took the lead quickly 2-1, and the, it stayed at 2-1 for a long time in the game. But Viking really hung tough, you know, put a lot of effort in, rode their luck a little bit. But they got a great equaliser through Tommy Herland, who has been a really great mid-season signing. I've got to say, credit Ian Burtnell there, fantastic signing. He scored quite a lot of goals for them. Uh, but then, as always seems to happen with with Viking, they conceded a late. Um, goal, not not as late as, as it was in the uh, previous fixture, but um, we talked about him last, last week, the son of Alf Inge Harland, he netted the winner for uh, for Mulder, so a 3-2 win for them and it just felt like, I mean it's a massive ass now for Viking, they're 8 points adrift still and with only 8 games to go, it's still possible, but I just feel they're, get, they're, they're down now, John. Sorry to say it, but um, that is now my prediction. Well, wow, that's a big statement. I mean, um, I don't know if Ian Birchmore's listening to this, but yeah, he, that's a disappointing one for him, maybe. And yeah, that is a big statement. As you said, you, you've been very, very positive about them all, all season. What would you say has changed? Is it just a psychological thing? I just, it just felt to me like it was a, a massive defeat, similar to what we're going to talk about uh, in a minute with um, AFC Eskilstuna in, in Sweden. Um, just the way it happened. Um, I mean, they absolutely gave everything they had, you know, and... Uh, with a bit more luck, they might, might have got something else. They haven't played that badly, Viking. I still don't believe they're necessarily the worst team in the league at all uh, right now. There's, there's teams playing worse than them. And they have done all year. It's just breaks haven't gone their way, late goals against them. And, you know, going forward, hopefully the future is bright, even if, if they do go down. Um, you know, prove me wrong and, and stay up. I would love to see that. I really would, mate. I would love it. 
King, Kevin oh, King. Um, oh, that would be sensational. But, I mean, Tromso, let's move on to them now. And yeah, I was just about to say, uh, Tromso, I mean, that is one hell of a result. They've beaten their second bottom of the table, 15th, and they've beaten the third place team, or they were second, I think, at the start of the weekend, 5 nil. Well, who, who on earth could have seen this one coming <laughs> after, after them losing 4 nil at Christiansund? I mean, um, it was it was as perfect a performance as you could get from Trumpser. Um, What's going on? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, two things have happened here, right? Sarpsborg, for a start, they, they named a weakened team. They rested some players. For example, Sigurd Rostad, he was on the bench because they've got an upcoming uh, Norwegian Cup semi-final midweek. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But um, I think they went up there thinking they can probably get away with a weakened team. But it's a hard place to go, uh, Trump. So it's miles up north. No one really likes going up there. The conditions were horrible. It was dark. It was uh, the rain was coming down, and Trumps had just got stuck in. They completely dominated the first <laughs> half. It was sensational from Trumps. They've got a game in hand, which is against Odd this Thursday night, and uh, I think they'll probably win that as well. Uh, they've got enough home games that they can get themselves out of trouble. Uh, they're one win away now from getting out of the relegation zone completely. But they've won two of the last three, both of them at home. And uh, I think they can be relied upon up north um, towards the end of the season to get enough points. But 5-0, I mean, it's absolutely bloody incredible, mate. I mean... <laughs> well, I mean, I understand, I understand that Mikko Lindenbrickson was on the score sheet. I mean, well, I'll ask you about him briefly in a second. But, you know, Simon Wangberg got two. Mushaga Bukenga, Landu Landu as well. Some some great names there as well. I mean, um, tell us a little bit, just very briefly, about Chomzo's squad complexion in general. What does that do for them in, in the relegation battle? Is, are they a team that could stay up? Well, their big problem all, all year has been scoring goals. Uh, they just wasted so many chances. Uh, finally, they managed to hit the back of the net. Seaman uh, Wangberg, he's a defender. Um, so, surprised to see him get a couple of goals. But Bakenga, he's the guy that's come from Rosenborg um, in this summer transfer uh, window. Pretty good signing, if you ask me. He's actually getting the game time now that he needs. In, in the last few years, he's been either injured or just come off the bench a lot of the time. No rhythm, but now he's starting week in, week out. I think it's a lot better for him. He looks dangerous. Uh, Mikalinga Brixen, he scored within a couple of minutes of coming uh, off the bench, I think, uh, for this game. So, yeah, Trumps have looked... Uh, they've obviously, a great signing with Bakenga there. I think he, he'll go do well for them going forward. I mean, I, I expect them to be good at, good at home towards the end of the season, away from home. Maybe they won't be as good, but they've got enough points left, I think, to, to get themselves out of trouble. I always said with Trumps uh, that they should be all right. There's enough quality in that squad. I do remember you saying, actually, they're good at home and that will keep them in good stead. They're only three points now from 12th, uh, Wallerenga up there. So that's really in them, uh, I hope you'd say. I mean, they've got a poor defensive record, but um look like doing pretty well. I mean, it looks like Sondal are getting sucked into it a little bit. And uh, Christiansen, who you don't really rate, are uh, starting to climb out of it. Well, these Christians under the team that are really proving me wrong all season, John. Um, what I said last week that they're not going to stay up by keeping clean sheets, didn't I? I said they're going to have to score goals. And what do they do? They go and get a, a nil-nil draw at Lillestrom. I do believe their goalkeeper was named, uh, was the highest scoring goalkeeper in the fantasy, Elite Assyrian fantasy at the weekend, which kind of tells a bit of the story. He had a good game. Uh, but uh, they really dug deep. Uh, Lillestrom tried, threw everything at them. But they defended stoutly. Um, Sorry to interrupt you there. Sean McDermott is the keeper. Yes, Sean McDermott. An Irishman. Uh, yeah, he uh, again. He's not someone I particularly rate that much. Um, but he had a good game on uh, the weekend. A really important save late on uh, to keep it nil-nil. 
I just felt even even right until the end, I, th- I thought Lillestrøm were always going to nick it. They always were slightly the better team, but they didn't. They restricted Lillestrøm. The, the host didn't create as many big big chances that I expected. And Christensen reverted to what they were at the start of the season, where they just try to gra- grind out results. You know, I think um, it was it was really surprised me in many ways. I didn't believe they had the ability to to graft it out. Yeah, a great result. They're out of the relegation zone now. They're uh, in fourth bottom, so if they can keep it up, who knows? But uh, it's something that, uh, that I say, it surprised me. But moving into the Alsvenskan relegation battle now, and well, we're going to talk about it more because we've got uh, Sundsvall uh, away against AFC Eskil student as a match in focus. But uh, there's a big gap now between third bottom and Kalmar. Five points, Halmstad at AFC looking trouble. Do you see those three teams at all? Uh, getting back into it. Yeah, I think I um I would like to park that one because we're going to talk about that in detail in a minute, and I don't want to. I think we'll do, we'll touch on that in the next in the next section, I believe. Uh, if that's all right with you, Steve. I mean, the one team I would want to talk about is the Hamstad, obviously ARK game, and uh, Hamstad to me, they're they're gone. I think. Um, I don't think they've recovered from losing Pikalski, who was their captain, and um, Sahak Sabanovic, who's gone to West Ham. I really think they've they've struggled to um, get over that. Really, uh, the complexion of their squad is not great now. I think they, they lead goals. Ak just ran through them like a train in the first half. It was it was a joke, really. Ak aren't really the sort of team who play on the front foot that often. Um, the manager as well, Ricard Norlings, often criticised them, saying they need to play on the front foot more. Um, and they did that in the first half. Ak and and just ran away with it. It was um, you know, it was like a, you know a bucket with. 10 holes in it and you've only got two fingers uh, really it was you know they keep trying to plug the leaks and they couldn't um yeah so Hamstad really are i fear for and then the other teams well um tune in for part two and we'll talk about that hey eh, steve yeah Hamstad, they're, they're really poor aren't they i must say right now um they can't get a point from anywhere can they uh, they look completely finished to me they're not even playing uh well at all are they there's not really any grains of comfort at all from Hamstad. Um it, it's rather worrying for them, isn't it? Well the only thing you could really say is that, you know, the run in, you know, they they've got some games where maybe they can do something. Um you know, but yeah, I'm struggling to I'm, you know, the next game's Kalmar at home, obviously a midweek fixture that is. So by the time you listen to that, this might well have even been already played. But um the listeners are, yeah, then they've got North Shopping, Malmo away, EF Core, AFC at home, which is a massive one. But by then, they could both be down, really. That could be, that's the second last game of the season. And then Hammerby away. So I'm, I'm looking for grains of comfort, and I just I just can't see it, Steve, to be honest. Um, I think they've got too many holes. They look weak They look weak at the back. They, they don't have a proper, real, you know, reliable kind of goal scorer. They look like a super, apart from Abubakar Kato, who I think is a good player. Um, I think he will move on to a, to another Osvenskan team, potentially, even though he's on loan from Denmark. That aside, I think they look like a super end team. And that, that's that's the bottom line. So, so looking forward to this midweek round, you'd say Ostersunds, Malmo, Halmstad, Cal- uh, Kalmar, uh, sort of the two standout games. Maybe maybe Hammerby, EFK, interesting one. Yeah, in terms of midweek games, there's, there's some really big games actually this midweek, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing some of them. I think also is Malmo is the, the big one. That's a massive game. But yeah, there's other ones. Um, yeah, we're getting to the business end of it now, aren't we, really, Steve? Uh, well, but yeah, both leagues. We're getting to the business end yeah. of it, for sure. Um, big matches everywhere you look. And, and it's the same 
in Norway this week. We've got a cup round uh, to semi-finals now, and uh, the two matches. Uh, we have uh, Valerenga against Sarpsborg on Wednesday and Mulder against Lillestrøm on Thursday. And, um, I mean, season-defining uh, competition for either of these teams, really. Um, if you look at Valerenga, Sarpsborg, Mulder, they'll all feel that they really need to win a trophy to show something for the season. Lillestrøm, it's a little bit different because expectations are not as high there. But um, now that Rosenborg are out, everyone's going to feel like they can, can win this competition, John. So it's going to be interesting to follow um, the, these two semi-finals and also the big match on Thursday in the in the league is Tromsø against Odd. It looks like a really good chance for Tromsø because Odd played on Monday night. I don't. Christ knows how these fixtures are worked out, but Odd play on Monday night, then they have to play this uh, match on Thursday. So, you know, already an advantage for Tromsø there, win that, and they're out of the relegation zone. Well, I heard you let off a big sigh there when you mentioned the cup games, and uh, you're not a massive fan of cup is cups, are you really? No, I don't follow cups, yeah, domestic cups in, in any league I follow. I just, not particularly, maybe I watch the odd final here and there. Um, but, yeah, they just don't uh, float my boat, mate, you know. I don't know what it is really about them. I've, I guess it, I think it originates from French football when where the motivation of teams is so questionable that I just, I can't be asked to second guess them all the time. And there's all sorts of mental baggage and, things to consider. Um, I mean, it's a little bit different in Norway at this stage now. All the four teams are going to be going for it, hammer and tong. So, um, yeah, it might be a time for me to start tuning in. Who's your prediction in terms of winning it? Um, yeah, I mean, look, Valerian and Sarsborg both kind of rested players at the weekend or had their minds focused on that. So I think I could see that one being a draw, maybe going to extra time and penalties. Mulder against Lillestrøm. I've just got a feeling Mulder, I mean, things have been going their way all year, haven't they, with late goals and things like that. And maybe their their name's on this cup. Um, with, uh, But it'd be interesting. I'd probably say Mulder to win the cup overall, I think. Fair enough. Interesting. And um, there was another cup uh, last week just gone where Rosenberg made their debut in the Europa League. How did, how did the champions of Norway get on there? Before we move on to part two. Yeah, just a quick one here because, I mean, it were um, no one expected them to get anything. But uh, it was quite sensational how Sociedad really tore them a new arsehole at times. Um, they just, uh, I mean, it was 2 0 after 10 minutes and it was 3 0 at half time. It could have been 5 or 6. And it wasn't because Rosenborg were bad. I mean, maybe they're a little bit over ambitious after what they've done against Ajax, thinking they can go there and be play a bit of football. But Sociedad just looked a really classy team to me. Um, you know, it's clear the level of the Liga is, is, is significantly higher. They look like a Champions League team, I've got to be honest. I mean, having watched a lot of the Champions League games in midweek, then, um, then I really feel somehow the UEFA have got it wrong. They need to have the best teams in that competition and you need a Europa League, which is a bit more competitive in a way like that. But Sociedad, they, they could win the whole competition. Uh, technically, a really good team. And Rosenborg, um, I mean, they gave it their best shot, but they were given a footballing lesson. But they come back into the into on, on Sunday and they beat Valerenga three 0 So that's what they do. So uh, yeah. Anyway, I think we're going to um, have a bit of a break now. Uh, stay tuned because after the interval, we're going to be have a big match analysis. AFC Eskilstuna against Gifson Val. Loads of player uh, in focus uh, as well this week. So stay tuned for more.
Welcome back to episode 12 of the Nordic Football Podcast. Uh, now, the next section is the uh, match in focus. Uh, bit. Last last week we did uh, a Norwegian game. This time around we're doing a Swedish fixture. And it was between AFC Eskilstuna and Gif Sundsvall, which the visitors won 2-1 on Monday night. A massive result for them in the fight against relegation and a bitter blow for AFC Eskilstuna. Now, um, John is the uh, Svenskan expert. Um, I know a little bit about the league, but he is the uh, the man uh, in depth knows the players better. So he'll be analysing it from that point of view. I'm from more of a, I suppose, a neutral perspective, really. Um, but, um, I, you know, I mean, I do like to uh, have my input with certainly formations, tactics, style, things like that. Um, I mean, when you signed me up for this one, John, I certainly didn't expect it to be such a frantic affair. And I think frantic was a good word to describe this game. Would you agree? Yes, frantic was is a very good word to describe it, Steve. And uh, welcome back, everyone. It's a do or die game for both both teams, really. I mean, Adari's come out and said afterwards that they still believe with seven games to go, and who knows? It could be a remarkable comeback, and it would be a remarkable comeback. But um, this is a nail in the coffin, really, of their offense can hopes. Really, I mean, to lose at home to a relegation candidate, it's a crushing blow. But yeah, I mean, I suppose we're going to approach it as we did last week. Should we, you know, we're, you know, kind of looking at the formations and the teams before getting into the, the debate? Yeah, and uh, I think in terms of formations, we had um, one pretty recognisable, more rigid uh, approach uh, with uh, Sundsvall, whereas with AFC, um, it was more more complicated, I think it's fair to say. I mean, um, let's start with, with AFC, and you've got a back four, uh, which included one of my old favourites, Ty Taiwo, at left-back, more on him uh, in a little bit, but... Um, Aside from that back four, how did you see this system working um, for Michael Jolly's uh, AFC? Yeah, well, you know, the, let's run through the lineups. Obviously, first they had uh, Hagigi in goal, Bjornqvist as a kind of right back, Oman, Michel, and Taiwo as the four other def- three other defenders, uh, four man back line as you've mentioned. Um, Adari, Wanderson, Andrew Fox, Abdul Razak, uh, Chidi Omij, and Mohamed Bouya Toure in attack. And then it was lined up with Gibson's file, who had Tommy Nowrin in goal. Uh, it's a bit of a sort of 3-4-3 formation, in my opinion. I think you might agree with me there. Daniel Cern, Bjorkander, and Sundberg, Son- Sonko Sundberg, and uh, centre-backs kind of thing. Myra Stam and Larson as the wing-backs. Uh, Stein Dawson, Batanero. And then Sigurdsson, Hellenius, who bagged two goals. And Romain Gore. Um, Hellenius is the striker in goal, and Sigurdsson is the kind of flanks of that 3-4-3. And yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, was listed on many websites as a kind of a diamond formation from Michael Jolly, which is a bit of an experimentation. Um, AFC have tended to play more of a kind of maybe a four-three-three or, or um, you know, that kind of format set up uh, at, in most, a lot of their games this season. But they've been fairly tactically diverse since Michael Jolly took the job. Uh, we interviewed him on Pod Ten, and he talked about having a diverse kind of um, skill set in terms of how you set your teams up and you know playing with different players to match the, the opponent, uh, which they did when they beat Malmo. And um, this one, it looked like he went for a, a bit of a, a diamond. To be honest with you, I'm not sure it really worked. Look out where Omar Adari was supposed to be playing in the first half. Um, and he's their key man, the captain. So I'm not sure that really paid off. Uh, you may have different observations or listeners may have different observations. Um, Abdul Razak as well, I thought, struggled to get on the ball in the first half. Wanderson. You know, my, my new nickname for him is probably Wanderlust or uh, Wanders Off to nowhere near the ball. Um, 
Andrew Fox struggled a little bit, I felt, as well, and was kind of responsible for the first goal. And Amij and Buyatori didn't see too much of it, although they, you know, Buyatori did get a yellow card early on. But what was your interpretation of that, that formation? And then also the interpretation of uh, Gift's formation? Yeah, I mean, let's start with the with the simple, the back four. Um, and then I think Amiji and uh, Buyatori up, up front. Um, that was the more straightforward part of it. I would say the midfield. I didn't really have a clue what was going on at times. I think, but I think that was actually the idea of it. Really, behind Michael Jolly's thinking, he, I think he, he likes his players to be interchangeable, unpredictable, uh, fluid, uh, which is obviously a good thing sometimes. But this supposed diamond, which was listed to me, it just didn't seem like a diamond. At one point, it was, it was all sorts of different shapes, mate. You know, from the triangle to a square, to a circle. Sometimes it was just. Um, all over the place. You're right, Adari's listed it as a D-mid in some parts, but well, he certainly didn't play as a D-mid from about half an hour onwards, did he? Um, it was more certainly more of an attacking midfield. It didn't work with Fox, um, I don't think. And you say Wonderson, although he had that um, free kick, didn't he? But uh, in terms of, I mean, wonders off was a good word. I don't think he quite knew where he was meant to be. Maybe someone like him would have preferred a more rigid, disciplined approach, saying, right, you stay in that position, that's where you're going to stay, instead of this fluidity thing. And Razak, I didn't really notice him much. I think I nicknamed him Mr. Invisible in this game at times. just didn't happen. Um, but, I mean, Adari got into the game more uh, eventually. But in terms of the actual formation, I don't really know what I would list it as, uh, John, in the end. I think it was just a really adaptable system, which had its good parts. Don't get me wrong, after the break, it certainly caused Sunsville all sorts of trouble but uh, moving on to Sunsville yes it was a 3-4-3 and uh, the they really used their whip so well in the first half I thought they absolutely crucified uh, AFC on the right hand side in the first half and uh, that was really the key the key part of the game in that first half I would say yeah of course I mean and looking at the match stats I mean and, and for those who haven't seen the game third minute goal um, 1-0 gift Sunsville you know, before AFC had really even had a chance to get into their formation, it was 1-0. Um, a defence-splitting pass from Batanero, who I thought was fantastic, actually, in midfield with his, his left foot. I thought he caused them all kinds of problems with his passing and the angles he created. Uh, he played one out to Eric Larson, who we'll talk about. Uh, star man for me, um, for GIF. And it was a simple cross for Linus Hellenius to tap home. 1-0. Um, Fox and Ty were caught out on the left-hand side with that through ball from Batanero. And yeah, it was every you know, Michael Jolly's worst nightmare in terms of the start, really, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, I think it actually the origins were from a uh, AFC corner. They started off with a couple of good set pieces actually, and they were maybe caught a bit going tracking back and stuff. Taiwo seemed out of position. Fox certainly was, and you know it was a very easy goal. But after that, I think it could have been two or three nil to to GIF uh, Sunsvall because Taiwo was much. I love the guy. I thought he was shockingly poor in the first half I mean he it seemed he didn't know where to be position from a positional point of view it was just horrendous stuff from Taiwo and uh, I mean it was a shame to see but uh, it was clear that uh, the guy uh, playing the right wing back he was more like a right winger at times Larson for uh, Sunsvall he completely just ate him for breakfast didn't he I mean it was crazy how many times he got in there got great crosses in and, and Sunsvall had big chances to make it 2 or 3 nil. Um certainly the first half an hour. I mean, this guy, Larson, you'll know him better than me, but he was very impressive, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he, as we mentioned on the 
when we did the team in focus of gift then when they were really struggling i said that eric larson was you know a star player for them and teams have been looking at him and um he showed why in that first half he, he was sensational i thought uh, gift heavily focused their play down his right hand side and batonera was kind of the playmaker in central midfield and um, larson just time after time uh you know created the chances for, for gift and everything seemed to come down that right hand flank Gore had a header after some more good work from Larson. Um, it was a bit wasteful from Gore. You know, it was a soft header, but another creative piece of play from Larson. Um, yeah, there were, there, were many, there were many occasions. I mean, one of the things with the first half, one of the themes was that, you know, there was a few stoppages wasn't there. And obviously, Buyatore was booked for diving early on. And, you know, there was a stoppage for an injury when he collided with the goalkeeper as well, which nearly saw a second yellow, potentially. Um, but yeah, Larson was a real uh, thorn in in AFC's side in that first half. But yeah, what were your thoughts on the you know the setup of GIF? You know, in terms of the danger areas, I mean, AFC were looking to kind of counter, weren't they? They threw Buyatori and Amij uh, with two men up front, and you know they're past the midfield really. Um, how did you think that GIF dealt with that in terms of you know the first half, and how why, why do you think they profited so much in that first half? Yeah, it was because AFC were playing too narrow. In this diamond, it was like a, a, a narrow diamond, wasn't it? Um, yes, they got um, obviously four at the back, but there was no other whips apart from the strikers. And I think Giff really exploited that. Certainly on the right-hand side, they did. And they did a bit on the left as well. There just wasn't enough uh, help for, for someone like Taiwo or Bjornquist, you know? Um, I mean, as, as poor as they were, perhaps, you know, you can't perhaps solely put the blame on them they really used those sort of wide midfielders to great effect did gif in that first half whilst at the same time it, it felt like their two midfielders um were matched up really well sigurd and uh, and the other uh, guy who uh, you mentioned uh, with the great left foot there at um they, they seemed to cope surprisingly well with what was a compact midfield perhaps because afc's four in the middle were, were, were moving or around too much they weren't getting on the ball enough yeah, I mean, a simple fact of a of a three four three against a, a four a diamond midfield is, I would have thought that Michael Jolly was perhaps looking to dominate the, the middle of the park and kind of surround, um, you know, basically outnumber Stein Dawson and Batanero in that central midfield area, um, you know, with Larson and and Myra Stam kind of as wingbacks pushing on. He, I would imagine, wanted to flood that area with Fox, Titer, Wonderson in there, Razak and and Adari, but it didn't it didn't really work. And I think one of the problems with a diamond formation is you leave your, you leave your wings, don't you? You leave your flanks open. Mm. And if you're playing a three-four-three, then your flanks are going to be Myra's down on one side, and you've got Gaul and Larson on the other side. So effectively, they'd sacrifice their wings. Um, and I thought they should have made more of it. They had a, quite a few sh- chances. Um, I think at half-time, Gifford had eight shots to AFC's three. Uh, AFC had only had one on target. Gifford had three, but AFC had managed six corners, but. You know, and it did look a threat of set pieces, but um, yeah, I, th- I thought Giff had looked more, more threatening and Sigurds- Sigurdsson had a few chances they he put wide. But yeah, I mean, moving on to the second half, just want to touch briefly before that on the on the keeper. There was a keeper change. Yeah. Um, and William Esteliner came on for his first ever um, All-Spence game appearance. And he made one very good save um, to deny Adari. Uh, just, I think it's about 40 minutes on the clock. Um Incredible. Eight minutes of time were added on um, at the end of the first half. And it was getting a bit frantic for Giff towards the end of that period. And 
I actually felt the substitute keeper uh, commanded the area fairly well uh, throughout the whole game, actually. Um, I didn't know. I mean, do you, did you know anything about him before he came on? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I don't know a huge amount because he's never played, but I know I know who he is. I know you know his, his father actually, or grandfather, I believe, played in the Old Fence Gang. Um, so he comes from a sort of a sporting background. Um, played for Hammerby, I believe, and a couple of other teams, maybe Yulgarden. Um, but yeah, this is his first appearance in the Old Fence Gang, and he came on. Um, there's a long-term project there in place for him to perhaps become the number one keeper. Um, Tommy Narin is you know 32, 33 now, and I've actually quite liked him this season in games I've seen. Um, I thought at times he's quite commanding, um, sometimes dodgy from crosses, but um, you know he's, he's he's been fairly vocal and kind of authoritative at times. And um, it was a blow for them. I thought him going off, but Escalinen really did well, and that was a massive miss from Eldari, uh, and a good save from Escalinen. But Eldari should have buried that one in the first half. If you're a player being looked at by Fulham and other teams like that, you've got to be scoring those chances um, that Eldari had in that in that 38th minute. I think it was. No, the keeper did well, I thought. Um, not much he could have done about yeah, the goal. I think he did well, considering he was a substitute. Yeah, I think, think he did very well. But then to, to answer your question about the, the second half uh, start, then um, it, uh, I've got to say, I think Michael Jolly did well tactically. Um, he then exploited the three men at the back for um, for Sunsvall. He got his, 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 his wide players in very dangerous positions some great well i wouldn't say great service was provided but they got into some great positions didn't they uh Omiji and toure um it was a really key period 20 minutes after half time afc dominated the match completely how did they not get an equalizer john <laughs> good question i mean uh yeah afc came out stronger didn't they um one of the key moments was in the 55th minute sonko sunberg robbed by buya toure um sets up chili Omiji and he puts it wide I thought it was a bad miss and um, Adari started to get on the ball more in that second half early on. I think Michael Jolly had, had juggled things a little bit because Adari was in more forward areas. Um, they seemed to be more aggressive, I thought, um, pressed them more and, and and they won the ball back often a lot in Gif's own half. And I thought Gif struggled to actually get out of their own half at times. It didn't help that Wanderson, I mean, I thought he was terrible to be honest and I've tried to look into his background. I can't work out how many games you know where he's been playing before that. So, whoever you know, the scouting there and who's picked him up, it's an interesting one because he just he looked out of his depth. I thought, um, but yeah, AFC looked much more aggressive then, and um, you know, it was just Booyah and Amid's finishing wasn't great. They didn't make the most of some of the chances. What was your interpretation of that second half? Did you feel like if we're going to get back into it? I didn't. I think at that point in time, I felt there was only going to be an equaliser and, and nothing else. I think they were very lucky that they got a second goal on the counter attack because it hadn't really looked like happening before. Then it, it was obvious the first ten minutes of the second half they were in big, big trouble, Gif, uh, but nothing was done about it. I mean, what do you think they could have done tactically to to stem the flow? Because it just there were so many dangerous opportunities for AFC. I really feel Gif were lucky in this instance that they didn't concede a goal and that they were lucky that they got a second goal. Um, what, what what should they have done to, to to stem the flow? Yeah, well, the thing is, GIF actually are, are, they're decent uh, away from home. Funnily enough, they they actually have the the mid table in terms of their away record. Um, they picked up thirteen points on their travels. So the biggest problem, uh, mostly this season, really has been the fact that they you know they don't score enough goals. But the, because they're quite good away from home and good at you know they don't concede so many. And in in terms of keeping teams out. But yeah, they were they were leaking at that point, weren't they? And uh, it looked it looked worrying for them. 
Um, but then the second goal came along and it was a real killer, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, as you said, AFC looked like they were camp- they were camped in the half. Um, there was quite a few stoppages, but you know, Buya's trickery and pace was causing some kind of big problems um, and he was booked. But yeah, I mean, and, and the thing was, Danielson had just gone off injured. He's the captain, um, centre-back for GIF. It really looked like they were uh, against the ropes and then, then a goal, they do. Yeah, I really feel if that match had gone one all, there would have been only one winner, and that was AFC Eskilstuna. Um, I still I still can't believe they actually lost the game, John, because at one nil down, they were just so dominant. Um, I felt really sorry actually for, for them because they deserved better than going two nil down at that point in time. Anyway, the substitute came on uh, Morse, um, and he set up the second goal for Giff. He did a nice bit of work there, didn't he, uh, on the left hand side on the break, and the uh, Hellenius uh, finished for his second goal of the game. Not a bad finish, but um, I mean, the general standard of finishing the whole game was was really poor, I felt. There should have been about eight or nine goals overall. There were so many big chances. Uh, Gal for, uh, or Gaul, is it, for, for Sundsvall. He, uh, I mean, he, he missed some really big opportunities as well. But the second goal, it knocked the stuffing out of AFC. It was like they knew it was kind of too late. For them, it was a must-win game. I mean, they weren't going to get three goals in the space of, what, 10, 10 minutes or so, were they? It's... Uh, Really was a, a a goal a knockout blow that goal. Uh, it could have been three or four Sunsville in the end, um, but a good a good uh, consolation at least from from Adari, wasn't it? It was a good consolation, but you know, let's bear in mind here that uh, you know, as you said, Gaul or Gal, it was galling for AFC to 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 be two 0 down because they they looked like the ones who were going to get back into it, and then Hellenius finished off another tap in um, with one of Gift's only moves of that half. Uh, it was all for marking from Siskarizzi. Who had just come on? I mean, how did he not anticipate the cross coming in from Morse? Um, you know, the cut back, it was just an easy square ball. Surely you can see Hellenius as the only man in the box to, to, to intercept. He didn't manage to anticipate it, and it was as a tap in. A great run from Morse, um, the 19 year old. That really killed it off. Wanderson then wandered off, um, substituted. And yeah, the story of that second half was AFC's inability to finish chances. And, you know, they've only got 19 goals all season in 23 games, and that's been a problem for them, really. Um, Adari's goal was a good consolation effort, but to be honest, Steve, <clears throat> I was a little bit surprised when the goal went in. Um, I was quite surprised that he didn't run back. He, I mean, Adari's the captain. I was expecting him to you know, score the goal, and it was a beautiful strike. But, you know, go and get the ball, pick it out of the net and run. Get back. They were gone. They, they were <laughs> gone. They knew they'd... They knew... I think that's the goal that's relegated them, the second goal from Sundsvall. It just felt to me like the... Uh, Say so not the stuffing out of them completely. They felt it was a must-win game. A two-all draw is going to do nothing for them. They're thinking about victories and victories only right now, and they couldn't win that game from two-nil down with only ten minutes left. It's realistically not going to happen. So I think that's what's what happened. They, it's not that they gave up, but um, it was just like they kind of knew the game was up. If you know what I mean. So it it, it disappointed me. I have to say, um, I thought it was quite poor poor leadership. <coughs> um, you know, it was a great effort. And, I just thought, you know, rally the troops and, and, and kind of, you know, run back. you still got time. They, they still had a, a set piece late on. It looked like they'd, like you say, they'd kind of resigned themselves at that point. And I thought that epitomised AFC throughout the game, really. They didn't, you know, the way they played in the first half. You know, this is a game to save your skins. Save yourselves, you know. You've got one game at home against a relegation team. You, you know, look like you won it and battle for it. And they, I didn't see much of that in that game, to be honest. It, it, yeah, I think... Um... I mean, it sounds like it rather sums up their season. Uh, AFC, every time I see them play, they miss so many chances. 
or then then a defensive mistake cost them uh, the back a bit. And um, yeah, maybe people were trying to be a bit too individual as well for them in this game. Um, many a time the, the wrong ball was done or someone tried to take on a shot or a, an extra sort of touch too many, perhaps. But just before we move on, final conclusions of this game uh, from you, John. Um, what have you got to say? Yeah, there's not much left to say. I think we've, we've covered it in quite a good detail. Um, GIF win three in a row now. Five points clear of the relegation playoff. Uh, 12 points clear of relegation outright. Fantastic turnaround. Fan- absolutely fantastic turnaround. And Joel Sidigan has to take huge credit. Because when I spoke about them on their, you know, the talent, you know, as a team in focus, on pod, pod 10, I think it was, I thought they were down. And I thought there was no way back. But to get nine points, you know, out of nine, They've effectively saved their skins, I think, and this this game really was massive. And they've 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 put thirteen points between them now and and um, AFC, and I think that's it for for AFC in terms of they're not going to catch them as well. That's we we can at least say that with with certainty. Um, in your opinion, Steve, do you think Eskil's doing a down now? Is that it for is that it for them with, with eight points separating them from the relegation playoff? I did look at their running and it is favourable. They've still got to play Hamstad, Young uh, Chipping. I think they've got Urubro away um, this midweek. So, look, they're not completely dead, but it just felt to me like that goal was a goal that relegated them. Um, but going forward, I still think there's hope for the club um, long term because they they do play they play good football at times, don't they? They, they look like they're going to score, but just don't finish. Um, i say it's a completely different story. If it goes one all there, I think they would have won the game. But long term, I think they'll they'll do okay. But yeah, I think I think for me, yeah, that's that's relegated them now. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I actually have, I still have. I don't know why I've had this feeling all season. I still feel like they're the sort of team that could maybe rack three straight wins or something and get out of it. But they're running out of time now, and you know they have to show. It. I, I I don't think they're necessarily down. I do still think they've got a run in them. The most worrying thing was that Adari goal and the way he just kind of didn't really run back. It's it's encouraging to hear him say after the match that. Oh, there's still plenty of time. Um, is that complacency or is that kind of a is that casual kind of we're good enough and we'll just there do it? Time though, is there? That's the thing. There's not. There's only seven games left now for um, for AFC. And if they'd just lost that game to someone like Hacken or AIK or whatever, it's not such a big blow. But they lost it to Sundsvall, who all right, and they might not have been able to catch Sundsvall ultimately. But it was a great chance to beat a team down there, and. For me, that's the big worry for AFC. Time is running out, but I kind of do see where you're coming from. They are maybe the sort of team who can get three wins in a row. At the minute, I think they're better than Halmstad. They're better than Jönköping. And it's just just really poor finishing and, and conceding goals at the wrong time. It's costing them, John. So maybe maybe going forward, they've still got half a sniff. But realistically, I've got to think with my brain here, the logical sense in me says they've gone. Yeah, I mean, this is my final point. Psychologists tend to say that, you know, in terms of personalities, there is the personality of the type of people who, when pressure's on, they turn it on. You know, have you ever done your homework sort of last minute and left it to the last minute and stayed up all night, had a few Red Bulls and, and bashed out in 12, 12 hours? Do you know what I mean? That's the kind of, is that the kind of team AFC are? And if they are, then maybe, are they waiting for that kind of, are they the sort of talented players who are just waiting now for the last five games to really sort of say, right, the, really, really, the pressure is on now, let's do our homework and, and get out of the way. Um, a bit like Sunderland used to do back in the day. That's my last question with the AFC. You know, are they actually show, just waiting to show their talent in the last four or five games? We will find out, I suppose. Um, but for now, yeah, great, great analysis, uh, Steve. And um, let's move on to talent focus, shall we? 
yeah, enjoyed that one very much, uh, very much indeed. I'll start us off with Talent Focus this week, and uh, I'm going with uh, a guy from Scrubs Good, sir, Eric Anderson, who uh, has been in great form this season. I feel like his, um, the way his performances deserve some recognition on this podcast. Uh, I think I've talked about him once or twice, but now we'll go in more detail uh, because he's been such a key man for, for Good, sir, this season. Right, and yeah, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, the table. And I see Strums Gusser bang dead on mid-table, pretty much, uh, ninth. Why have you chosen this man and why have you chosen him now? Well, as a team, I would say they've been propelled offensively by two players. Oh. This year. Um, Eric Anderson and Basil uh, Uradi. Uh, I think between them, they've got most of the goals and most of the assists. Um, certainly, Anderson's stats are impressive. 18 appearances, seven goals five assists and um, it's not just a manner of, I mean, some of his goals have been spectacular, technically really good and uh, he makes a massive difference from the going forward. Uh, let's start with the history of this player. He was actually signed in last year's summer transfer window from a club called uh, Hurd, who at that point were in the Oberst League again, the second tier of Norway. Now, I don't follow that league. I never have done. Uh, well, apart from looking at some of the scores, I don't really know the players that well at that level. Um, by all accounts, he was one of the stronger performances there. But you never know, do you? The step up to the top league in Norway can be a big goof. Um, he scored a few times at the back end of last year for good, sir. Um, I can't really remember seeing him too much there myself. I think I missed a lot of their fixtures. But And he started this year uh, injured and supposedly not in great physical condition. But it, was, it soon became apparent as soon as he came into the side after five or six games, he's a big, big player for them in terms of creating chances, scoring chances, giving them a lift mentally. I feel, I mean, you talked uh, just recently in that match analysis about leaders on the field. I think he's a leader on the field for good, sir, as well. Uh, even though you might perhaps look at other candidates um, who should be doing a better job in that way. But I think this guy's sort of leading the, the line, really, in that regard. He uh, He's gained more respect as the season's gone on. And um, it's a massive part for, for good, sir. I mean, they're mid-table right now. A lot of them expected, some people even thought they might challenge for the title this year. That's how poor they've been overall. Uh, I mean, take this guy out. Goodness knows where they'd be. They might be in the in the relegation battle right now, John. Right, well, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his positions. He's kind of a, he's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, is he? I mean, he can play right wing, left wing, centre forward. Um, he's 24 years old as well. I mean, he's so slightly older than perhaps some of our talent, talent focuses. Um, so, you know, give us a bit more insight in terms of why you've chosen him and what kind of player he is. Screams to me sort of a late developer, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. If you can call 24 late, I don't think it's that late. It's kind of, it's a little bit late, isn't it? But it's, yeah, but late developer, maybe. Uh, in Jack of all trades, yeah. I mean, I've got him down on my um, database uh, as someone who can play in a lot of different areas. I think primarily left or right wing is his best spot. I think this season developed into an attacking midfield role more centrally. He's become more comfortable centrally. Still think he's best out wide, though. Um what sort of player? I mean, he's not what you'd call a quick winger. Um, you know, light on his feet, silky skills. That isn't him. He's more of a sort of a uh, intelligent winger, if you know what I mean. Uh, he always seems to know uh, when to play the right pass, um, when to play the the best sort of touch instead of overplaying a ball. Um, his finishing is good. He's sort of like a composed finisher, really. He doesn't just snap at a shot. He will sort of way up uh, the chance to maybe put a curler into the top corner or something like that. He um, he seems to have a lot of time, uh, really, uh, on, on, on the ball as well, which which is a good thing um, for him. And 
just overall, I say his performances this season have been have been so good. Now he scored at the weekend, and it kind of made me think, right, I better give this guy a mention. So uh, I thought in this particular episode was the right time. Uh, Irik Anderson, one to watch out for for the future. I think because he's a late developer, maybe he could end up moving away from the league. But uh, right now, I'd say he's certainly one of the top ten players in in the elite area. Interesting. That's a big statement. And yeah, looking at his stats, he's got twelve. Oh well, seven goals five assists so uh, you know he creates a goal or assist pretty much every 120 minutes of, of play which is, is decent um if he was to leave at the end of the season before we move on very briefly um where would you see him sort of going and you know what kind of level of standard of league maybe well the downside is perhaps this sort of lack of real flair at times if you know what i mean but because he's physically strong i think he's mentally strong yeah. i think he could play his trade in somewhere like maybe even the english championship or something eventually or Holland might not be a bad sort of place. Uh, I don't think he'll be one of these typical guys who goes to Turkey from the Arsvenskan. So, uh, yeah, I think going forward, um, maybe he'll get a move away. But right now, I see him pretty confident in Norway. And I think another year there wouldn't do, do him any harm. Um, and it'd be good if he, can, if he can stay fit for the rest of the year, because I think when he's at full fitness, he's a top player. So, um, I'll, I'll move on now to your player in focus. Uh, this week, and, and we're going to Malmo, um, a player called Erdal Rakip. Um, what have you got to tell us about him? Yes, I'm going to go for a, a younger player than 24. And yeah, one who's kind of made headlines this week. He was man of the match in the game against Hammerby in the 4-0 win. Uh, Erdal Rakip, he got two goals in that game. Both of them were kind of fairly straightforward, if we're being honest. You know, kind of tap-ins. They weren't you know, exceptional goals in themselves. But, you know, good timing, right place, right time kind of thing. Took his chance well, s- sniffed them out. Um, and I think he's one to watch, really. And I think it's time we probably mentioned a, a Malmo player, considering how well they do. Yeah, in terms of position, um, is someone who has been listed playing in a range of different midfield areas as well on, on some uh, sites that I was checking out. Um, where would you say his primary best positions are? Yeah, I mean, like yourself, Steve, I keep, you know, obviously we both keep databases of every player, don't we, in, every, in, in the league pretty much. And um, Rackets are a fairly versatile player. And, you know, one of the things about the Malmo, coach uh, this season is the fact that he likes versatility in his players and he tends to rotate them quite regularly. Joringa Burgett, in fact, has complained this week saying he won't sign a new contract if he's going to keep playing as a wing-back because he's, he wants himself, he, he considers himself a striker. So that tells you the extent to which they, they do rotate. Um, in terms of Rakip himself, he's pretty much a kind of defensive midfielder, in my opinion. You know, he, In a 4-4-2 system, he's the centre mid, really. Um, you know, either a centre midfielder, he can play on the right as well. Uh, he can play as an attacking midfielder. Maybe that's more of a secondary position for him. Um, he has played on the left, left of a four-man midfield at times, um, although that's not a, a real strength of his. Um, but yeah, playing on the right, he's comfortable. But I think he's mainly a centre midfielder, really. Yeah, um, he's got that technical profile of a fairly reasonably creative centre midfielder. Yeah, I mean, a couple of questions here. Uh, first of all, how important is he to Malmo? And uh, what would you say sort of his biggest strength is in, in general? Well, in terms of importance, he's not, <clears throat> he's not hugely important because they have such a t- t- uh, stacked squad and they rotate a lot. I mean, he started 17 games. Um, so that is, a, you know, a fair amount, really. He started a good bulk of the games, actually, in the Ulsvens game. Um, and at 21, that is, a, that is an impressive uh, ratio. But he does, does tend to, you know, play in different roles and, you know, sometimes on the right, sometimes in the centre. Um, but he's got four goals and four assists uh, overall, which is a decent number. 
And <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of his, yeah, I mean, he's played over 100 games now for Malmo. Um, 111, I believe, with seven goals and nine assists in total in that time. But he actually described the Hammerby game, one of his best ever performances, top five. And he mentioned that, you know, he, he was happy with his pressing and, he, you know, the, and, and that kind of defensive side of his game. So he, he does have a few strings to his bow, actually, Steve. And he's a Swedish under-21 under international and um, definitely one to look out for, I'd say. It's a lot of appearances for someone so young. Um, I guess the final question is, what is the future for Rakit then? Um, do you see him outside of this league going forward or do you think the Asfans can sort of his level? I mean, he has, I think Erdo Rakip has racked up a few uh, performances, doesn't he, over the years? Uh, if you'll excuse my pun there. <laughs> um, but he he is a player, in my opinion, who will end up leaving leaving the league. I think he has got the ability to go further. Um, you know, he's a Malmo sort of through and through kind of guy. He's been there through the youth teams, come up and kind of becoming, you know, he's gone from a boy to a man. And in a sense, in that squad, he, he can definitely progress and move on. I don't know when it will be. I'm not entirely sure it's the right time for him to go uh, anytime soon. I think he should maybe maybe stay another year, keep testing himself, and then maybe look to move the year after next. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, in his five seasons in the old fence game, he's, 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 he's done well. And, um, yeah, I think he's, he's a player who's going to go quite far. And he's, he's, uh, he's, been, he's been really happy with how he's done. And, um, as I mentioned, he, you know his pressing game's improving, and he's learning to sort of fight and for the whole match. Sometimes he's, he drifts a bit in games. Uh, when he plays on the right, he's not always that imposing. But I think, like I said, from a technical point of view, he's he's quite good cutting inside and and and, and kind of um, hitting goals from from different areas, maybe on the right. Uh, I think the challenge for him now is to become more consistent and do it game after game and really establish himself. But he is slowly doing that. So. Definitely a player to watch, I think, and, and one of the sort of um, standout players for Malmo, young players especially, in, in that sort of squad of theirs. Um, and obviously a champion-elect. OK, well, thank you very much for your uh, player in focus analysis there, John Erdel Rakip, the Malmo midfielder. That concludes uh, this week's podcast. Uh, it was, as always, it was a pleasure doing it with you, John, and look forward to many more in the future. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter, at Nordic Footpot. Uh, any feedback is most welcome, uh, either both positive and negative. So uh, we look forward to uh, the next week's podcast, don't we, John? Yeah, we do indeed. And actually, I just wanted to say quickly, because I forgot to talk about it on the, uh, in the my shorts about Ahmed Yassin. Yeah, I just wanted to say that he'd actually, he's actually attracting interest from you, you were talking about Racket there. He's, a, he's since we've, uh, since the last pod, Yassin's actually attracted interest from Italy, Germany, and and Spain, so I don't know if they're listening to the Nordic Football Podcast and maybe looking into him since then. But uh, yeah, that's come about quite, quite, quite interestingly, and um, that looks like a goal of his. He said he wants to move, maybe not to Real Madrid, Barcelona. He's obviously not that level, but you know, a kind of La Liga team if he can in the in the in the winter. So, yes, yeah, Steve, the years are out, and people are listening to the words that come out of your mouth, which is uh, I'm, I'm sure you'd be pleased to know that. Yeah, well, thanks a lot. I know, I know a lot of people are listening to the podcast <laughs> at the moment. Um, yeah. and the numbers are really great and thanks for all the listeners we really appreciate all this uh, been generally surprised how how, uh, how good the reception has been for this podcast throughout the whole year so uh, yeah thanks for, for that everyone so uh, well I'll say goodbye from this episode thanks for listening again and take care yep loving it thanks a lot cheers Steve